Welcome to the State of Developer Education, a podcast by Major League Hacking. We explore how technical leaders are creatively tackling the developer education gap to help prepare the next generation of technologists for the real world and build businesses that can adapt to any changes in the technology ecosystem. I'm your host, John Gottfried. Hi, everyone. I'm John Gottfried, co-founder of Major League Hacking, and I am so excited because today we have Elisa Carpio on the podcast. Uh, so to give Elisa a quick introduction, she is a tech evangelist and principal product manager and thought leader. She creates strategies and implements with her team and partners solutions that enable engineers across the globe to work in communities of practice, collaborate in the code as code stewards, and work with speed and build with a platform mindset. In addition, this influences Intuit, which is a company you've all heard of, influences their brand within the tech industry and attracts top tech talent. She is an awesome developer, evangelist, and I'm so excited to hear from her today. Uh, Elisa, welcome. Thank you for, for being here. Thank you so much, John. And hello. Um, nice to see you, I guess, on this podcast. I have met you before, but I'm humbled and also honored to be a part of of this uh, experience with you. Um, and, yeah. and wow, um, it always is kind of weird. I'm sure you can relate when you hear someone else talk about you and you're like, what? <laughs> is that really? I'm so embarrassed. Yeah, you always kind of I'm like, eh, don't look at me while he's saying that. <laughs> But thank you. Thanks for that great intro. Of course, you have a lot of accomplishments to be proud of. So it's it's amazing thank to you. be able to, to share them with everyone. Thank you. And to be honest, just as you will, you believe this, I'm sure none of us arrive on our own. Um, mm -hmm. All of us are here because of the teams and the people that have influenced us and support us. So I am very grateful to be a part of this podcast, but also very grateful to represent the teams and the leaders and the groups that um, I have partnered with. So thank you. Awesome. So um, I, I would love to start with kind of the the overall, you know, scope of your career. Um, you know, as I was doing research for this podcast and, you know, based on some of our previous conversations, I saw that you had this like really interesting um, combination of skills and disciplines that you had kind of merged together into, into you know, what you do today. Um, you know, you're an engineer, right? You mentioned to me you're a back-end engineer, which I am too. Uh, but you've expanded far beyond just writing code and architecting systems into, you know, product management, marketing, evangelism, hosting your own podcast, you know, all of these really incredible things. Um, you know, I'd love to hear from you how engineering as, as a core foundation of your career kind of set you up for a lot of these other opportunities. Wow, huge. Thank you for all that. Um, first, I, I would have to say that in engineering, um, we all choose that path because we want to make a difference, because we want to solve problems, mm -hmm. because we want to, you know, change lives, um, make things easier, make things better. The core of everything in that in engineering is the tech. And whenever people ask me, gosh, Lisa, what have you done with your career? I'm like, I know it's not a ladder. It looks like a Rorschach drawing. I get it. It's an ink blot. I get it. It's not straight. But to be honest, all of the work that I've done and all of the experiences I've had have allowed me to actually create my own role. In, in mm. fact, the, the position I have today at Intuit, I got to write my own job description. 
because of that. Now, when other engineers come to me or other technologists come to me and ask me about how can I do that, the first thing I said is the core of it is engineering at the end, at the, at the core. Um, and if you're, if you are someone from uni, you know, or in college and still studying, my advice to you is to start there, get two or three years under your belt minimum, and then start thinking about how do I want to learn? Where do I want to go next in terms of what, where do I want to make an impact? Um, I am huge in the belief that you need to actually have that life uh, that love of lifelong learning, right? And people go, oh my gosh, that's another freaking corporate speak. I'm like, actually, no. <laughs> For me, it has been what I am passionate about. You know, the, I mean, I still remember, oh my gosh, one of my mentors was the GM, was at the uh, was the SVP, the, the GM of QuickBooks and was the GM of TurboTax, Kieran Patel. So I use them both. Huh? I use them both, yeah. Oh, <laughs> Yes. And I still remember how upset he was when I was like, I was group manager, group dev manager. And I said, Kieran, I think my next step is I want to go into marketing. And he definitely not only took a pause, but I felt like it was my dad who was upset at me. I'm going, what are you doing? That's suicide. Why are you? He goes, you know what your next level is, right? It's director. I'm like, yeah, but I really want to learn what it's like to like understand conversion, abandonment. I want to understand how you run a business from that side of things. And it was not supported. I will tell you that mm -hmm. it wasn't supported. I was actually the first social media manager for TurboTax um, on the Facebook and a Twitter platform. And I also dabbled on Pinterest as well as in YouTube. But um, what I learned from that is tech is still at the heart of it, right? Um, I can actually debug, I debugged quite a few things. <laughs> but, um, but what that allowed me is to actually understand and have even deeper empathy for my customer and who mm -hmm. we're solving for. It actually also allowed me to partner, that role allowed me to partner with customer success or what people call customer service, customer success arm of Intuit to create um, the framework for supporting our customers on social media platforms. Now that role, along with being a product manager, being a dev manager and being an engineer, that was actually the reason why the, the chief architect of TurboTax, who's now the Intuit chief architect, Alex Balaj, and the then um, SVP of engineering, that's actually why they reached out to me and said, mm -hmm. you've had all of these things and, and at the crux of it, you understand tech and you are connected, well connected in the community um, of technologists. We think you can do this job well. And it was hilarious. John, if I could have shown you what it was, I thought I was going to look at job description. I looked at three weeks worth of an email exchange. And <laughs> I'm like, what do you think? I'm like, it's great, but here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take what y'all wrote and I'm going to write a job description. I'm like, oh, that's a good move. That's a good move. So I write a job description. I send it back to both of them. And remember, I've never worked for either one, right? And so this is all full trust of, okay, this is going to be great. Let me write this. I, I wrote it and they said, that's great. Let's, let's get started. And I was, I looked around. Is there like, you know, sometimes you get those moments where you're like, is there, yep. there's like that camera that's like, you know, about to come to <laughs> and you realize this is real. And uh, so I started off as a tech evangelist for TurboTax focused on really changing the culture, the tech culture for our engineers. 
to enable them to be amazing technologists, but really to give them a voice as well. And then when my boss became the Intuit chief architect, I then rolled up under him followed him to that, and now make that same impact globally. But in addition to that, I also found a passion in open source because I found that at Intuit, we actually had it, but it was really on life support. And that actually became something that was a rallying cry for me. And I was able to to convince one of my other colleagues who's staff software engineer, Rocio Montes, to join me in this movement to create an actual a natural open source office, a program. And we went from zero female engineers maintaining projects to 15% of our, of our projects being maintained by female engineers. We went from all projects being about infrastructure to now projects having, you know, we have data scientists open sourcing, um, I have product yeah. managers open sourcing. Um, and then our projects range from, you know, front end to, you know, data to AI to back end to testing. So I'm very proud of some of that work, but it came from a lot of empowerment. And I, I would say for those of you out there that are like, oh, I don't know if I want to be an engineer forever. You might not want to be an engineer forever, but it all starts there. And if you could just fall in love with that core you can do so many other amazing things that you probably didn't realize. And, you know, to be honest, tech, the technology industry has keeps evolving. The, my yeah. role would never have existed years ago. You know, there, there are roles that, what are you talking about? I, I was around before Facebook was created. There wouldn't have been a social media manager if there were no social media platforms, right? You're so, not the MySpace social media manager. So. <laughs> Don't bring back MySpace. And all of us had one of those, right? We thought that's going to be it. That's going to be forever. Then Facebook yep. killed it. <laughs> but good question, John. Thanks. Yeah, no, uh, you know, it's interesting. Like you mentioned that, you know, engineering is kind of what uh, allowed you to get a lot of these other opportunities. And, you know, when I think back on a lot of the stuff I've done, uh, evangelism is like this really interesting intersection between business and technology, right? Like you have to be able to speak both languages and translate between the two groups. And, you know, I think for certainly there's a lot of stereotypes about engineers not being able to communicate, which I think are generally unfounded. But um, I'm curious, like how you learned the business side of things, right? Because you came in knowing the engineering, but business is a whole discipline on its own. You know, how, how did that process actually go? It actually, um, so when I was in grad school, I was working for HP Barcelona mm -hmm. in a, at that time they were making these little startups. And so I was one of six people, did some development work, some program management work, some all sorts of work. Um, but I would say, um, can I, wait, can I, can you rephrase that question again? I just want to make sure that I capture it properly. Yeah. Um, that communication, right? Like, how do I? Well, re really, I want to know, like, how you rounded out your skill set, right? Like, you knew engineering. How did you learn the ins and outs of marketing and business and all of those things? <laughs> it takes courage. No. So let me tell you where it started. Um, I think it started when I was at HP before joining into it when I was in grad school and I worked for HP Barcelona. And at the time we all, all of the developers had to wear many hats. And I got to actually not only learn how to, how to 
code, whatever it was, we were, it was called HP posters. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and not only was I, you know, helping with that, but I, I really fell in love with connecting with customers and our customers, we, it was a B2B platform actually. And my customers were the resellers, the people who bought the wide format printers from HP. And what we were doing was creating an online service that connects these resellers, these mom and pop shops with, um, with companies like Warner Brothers that had content that could be printed. So mm-hmm. for example, for Warner Brothers, it was uh, movie posters. Um, and so we even, because of that work, um, uh, I got invited to actually, you know, be part of the red carpet for um, the Red Planet movie. Um, and I started That's loving the, the, the impact on customers. And that love of customers actually didn't go away. So then when I went to into it, it was more of a traditional role. But I ended up getting a role where it's more kind of B2B, where I started working with TurboTax. I, w- I was at the center. It was on infrastructure side. And again, that love for, for customers kept coming. And so on my third year as an engineer, I reached out to, um, to the recruiting group. Um, and I said, I don't know if this sounds crazy. I put my, I put my resume together, but I think I want to learn. And it was really that it was the crux from, I always say, but I think I really want to learn this. And I said, I really want to learn what it's like to be on the business side, to make decisions um, about experiences and solutions for customers. And I was very lucky at the time that recruiter basically connected me with the, with the um, VP of product management for TurboTax. And it was Rick Jensen and uh, Rick did become, continue to become my, uh, one of my mentors for a while. Um, He, and he gave me 45 minutes of his time, a VP, like he didn't know me, I didn't know him. Um, And he's like, you know, and at the end of it, he told me what the role, what product management was about. And it was very exciting. And he's like, he said, there's no role right now, but it's cool that you came out. I'm like, sure. I'm just like doing my research. Three, three months later, he reached out to me on email. And so did the recruiter and said, there's two jobs. Do you want to try out for it? I'm like, sure. And it was interesting because I was one at the time, one of five product managers in TurboTax and the only one that came from engineering. <laughs> and yes, I was a fish out of water. I'll, I'll be honest. Everyone else had an MBA. I had a master's in something else. I came from engineering. And the first thing that I actually was doing, I'll be honest with you, I don't think it's imposter syndrome. It really came to, I went into a very quiet space where I was thinking like, okay, I've never done this role. I'm just going to learn. And what I, what I ended up getting was, Elisa, we, you have this role, not to be quiet, but actually to play a role at the seat at the table. And yeah. we need you to actually help make decisions, help move teams. And it was that nudge and push that really started it for me. Now, you talked about communication, John, and I will tell mm-hmm. you right now, communication is the most, un- or having that skill, written and verbal, is the most underrated skill at university. But mm-hmm. it is the number one skill that you need as a technologist to grow in your role or to even take another role somewhere else. And I am grateful for, you know, mentors and teachers along the way who basically pushed me to to focus on writing, to focus on actually being able to speak succinctly um, and with purpose and with intent. And but communication 
dude, I wish today that I can go back to UCSD and like ask every one of my professors to like, hey, you know, can you please tell people like, I, I get it. You, you, we have to like, you know, you know, do our projects and whatever, but please tell them, tell them to like pick up that, what is it? Uh, what is that? The elements of style book and the, what is that? Book? Style guide or something. Do you remember that? Str- uh, was that shrunk and whatever? Shrunk and white, right? Yeah. yeah. And then there was another book on um, that, um, that I was recently introduced to around writing as well about the joy of writing. And, and I have to tell you, I wish, I wish people learn that more because I see that as the thing that gets in the way for many, many technologists, Mm -hmm. they could be amazing. They could be amazing. And then they, but then if you can't, if you can't actually get past the tech and explain it to non-tech people. And if you can't actually start bridging business, the reason why you create the tech you do with business results, it's actually going to be an issue for growth. And it's a lesson I've had to learn the hard way. I'm still learning it. I'm still, I still remember the first time I was asked as an engineer to create a, a, a set of slides. And it was for the work I was doing um, in uh, some testing work I was doing, and I had never created slides. And I did not know what it meant. I knew who I was talking to, going to be talking to, but I created like a 50-page slide deck. <laughs> and they're like, my boss looked at me like, you're going in front of our CIO. I just need to, I just needed one slide that showed your test results. Yep. But don't you want to know all the stuff I did? And they're like, no, we know. I'm like, but I want you to know that I, you know, did the work. No, we know, Lisa. But again, and this is a skill that was really hard <laughs> for me because I really wanted you to know I did the work. And so let me give you like my dissertation. Break in. That was not the right thing to do. So good question. Yeah. I do think if if you're listening out there, um, please do think about watching, you know, um, different or listening to different podcasts, but you, you know, watching keynotes, um, because a lot of them are like on YouTube, watch how people actually present ideas. Even TED Talks are great. Um, I'd love for you to check out on Git, on GitHub, check out some of the really well-written repos and what, what you need to actually, you know, present the idea and guide people to actually using your tech. So huge lesson learned, John, but Man, yeah. big one, a big one for all technologists. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that. Like I got a history degree in undergrad and, um, you know, I definitely feel like I'm weaker on a lot of the computer science fundamentals, but being able to like write and speak and craft ideas has been enormously like beneficial. And, you know, I think um, I, I completely agree with you that I, I think it needs to be part of all, you know, curriculum, right? You can't just write code or learn algorithms all the time. But, um, you know, I I like that you bring up the Git example, because that's probably like the representation of what you're talking about that most people are exposed to in the tech industry. It's like, when you see well-written documentation or tutorials, it's like a beautiful thing, right? It it simplifies all these complex ideas. The elegance of a well-written document, of a well-written repo, I was just going to say, a well-written repo 
is again, so underrated. And yet it's the thing that's actually going to get adoption in open source. It's the thing that's actually going to get you to be recognized as a technologist. And yes, the tech might be great, but man, if you can't get past describing it, bridging it and communicating it, it's pretty dead. Um, And I see the frustration. I see the frustration and, and I get it. I'll be honest, there's even like, I even sometimes help um, technologists write emails when I know it's going to go to the CTO mm-hmm. because I know what it's like to, you know, to write as peers, but even understanding the different ways that you communicate to different audience is its own nuance. And as a technologist, no one teaches you that. Um, it's a, it's, it's a bit of it. I, I kind of call it like earning your stripes. You, you do need to like earn your stripes and you do need to practice it. And it is practice just like coding. It is a practice. Um, I did not, you know, I'm speaking to you now, my gosh, John, if this was when I started off as an engineer, there would be no way, no <laughs> way that I would be like, are, are you kidding me? Like, yeah. you want me to say what? So are you going to ask me what? It's, it, it's definitely a practice, but, mm-hmm. you know, but you have to take the baby steps. And I would say for engineers out there or technologists out there, start with your repo. Start with mm. your Git repo and think and, and think about how are you introducing this tech? How are you gaining, you know, how are you gaining the adoption um, via like, you know, your sample code or the guidance you're giving on that documentation? Yeah. So um, I know that, you know, you work with a lot of different teams within Intuit to help them open source their own code, yes. right? So I would imagine there's a teaching process as part of that to get things up to, I guess, the standards that like a public developer community expects versus internal, right? There's different styles and standards that people are looking for there. But, you know, I, I'd certainly love to hear about that. But I also think on a more basic level, like, what do you tell engineers to learn communication skills? Because I know a lot of the students we work with, they're overwhelmed with CS coursework, right? They're doing all of these crazy projects and, you know, algorithm like proofs and whatever it is that they may not have the time or the mental space to explore those other areas. So, you know, whether they're students or experienced engineers, like how can someone actually get started there? What should they do? You mean on just, let me just reframe, reframe it or like reflect yeah. back to you. Um, you're asking about how can students start to really practice, um, you know, communication skills, if you will. Yeah. Um, so I actually have been, um, inspired by technologists like Anne Catherine Joe. She's, um, she's actually at Intuit. She's a director in mobile. And one of the things that I loved about something that she taught me, um, she also, she and I used to do these talks at UC Berkeley um, mm-hmm. for, for engineering students. And there was two things that she said. One is, you know, an easy way is to actually think about 15 minutes. Think about 15 mm-hmm. minutes a day. Sometimes that's shorter than, than you eating a sandwich. If you can say for that 15 minutes, I am going to write for 15 minutes, something I learned today or last week on my blog, or I'm going to write something on my LinkedIn profile, a post about something I read, but you're just going to give yourself 15 minutes. Not only mm-hmm. are you practicing communication skills, but you're actually reinforcing what you learned. 
And I have to tell you, since since doing that, our first ever workshop on this, because I even created a slide template and it's it like for um, I basically we made a slide template that was like a table week one, week two, 15 minutes a day. And you had to actually like fill it in and commit to it. What are you going to write about? I I actually practice it because of her. 15 minutes, uh, whether it's updating my LinkedIn or looking at, um, you know, a re- someone's repo and, and helping edit, edit stuff, it's 15 minutes. So I would say, can you commit to that? Because I love that she said, it's probably, it, it's probably shorter than eating your lunch, really, or preparing your lunch, right? Um, so that's one. The second is don't underestimate the power of editing. So mm. when you go to someone's open source repo or, you know, um, or go on to like your friend's project repo or your, even your team's project repo, don't underestimate the power of editing the content there because it actually will help you be um, more cognizant of how not only are sentences formed, but how are those thoughts formed and ideas formed. So those are like, like the easiest things, editing repos and in writing something for 15 minutes. And I think it's something, and, and then just do it, even if it's not a day, in a day, right? Uh, each day, like 15 minutes, start it in a week. Okay, uh, I have 15 minutes on a Saturday or a Tuesday or whatever. That's what I'm gonna do. Create a blog, it's pretty easy, it's free. Just spin up a medium, you know, profile. Um, yeah. And it just, it really just, was eye-opening to me because I'm like, gosh, I've been doing it the freaking hard way. And this 15-minute thing is pretty cool. And I, I would say, um, I, and and what I'm sharing with you, John, I also mentor other engineers um, mm-hmm. internally at Intuit. And it's one of the first, it was one of the things I always also say is consider that 15 minutes and start it off in baby steps, always baby steps. Cause people always like, it's like when you work out, oh my gosh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to start working out for like, an hour each day. I'm like, are you kidding me? Nope. You can bear. You, you, try ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, you gotta build the habit. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, dude, take a walk around the block. I don't know, but this one hour bit—that's too much, you know. So, anyways, it's just it, you're right. It's a habit, and in any habit, it's about de- developing a discipline. And discipline mm-hmm. does not come by just like sheer talent. It's a practice. It's a habit. Um, it's not uh, necessarily an obsession. It's definitely something you have to practice. Yeah, I, I love that. I mean, I think everyone I know who's a great writer says, just write every day. And, you know, one of the pieces of advice I was given early on is like, you know, a lot of people really worry that someone's going to look at what they wrote and think it's bad and judge them for it. But the truth is, when you're starting out, you know, no one's reading it, right? Like it's for yourself. And when you, if you ever get to a point where you're like a super popular blogger, if you're that embarrassed, go back and delete the old posts, you know, and you just have to get into the habit and do it. And I found that really reassuring, right? It's like, oh, that's what I, oh, that, that's awesome, John. I'm like, stop setting it so high. Stop putting that cross to bear, man. Like yeah. freaking just start it. You're right. No. It's gonna go. I think. Did you see what John, you know, wrote? Can you believe that? I'm like, no. The discoverability of a blog (laughs) in its infancy 
is not there. Very low. <laughs> it's super low. Maybe on page 12 of an SEO search on Google, right? Like, yeah. please. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to have to use that, John. I'm going to use that next time when someone goes, Belita, I don't know, someone might read it and make judgment and make comments. I'm like, do you really think people are going to like in the beginning? Yeah. I mean, like, let's be honest. I mean, I want you to be success, but, <laughs> but every, every, you know, everything starts with that one step. And mm-hmm. I would say, even if it's dipping just a toe, yeah. do it every day. And at some point you will get to the deep end, right? And you'll be able to swim there and, and do yeah. all those, you know, and, and do all sorts of things. But great Absolutely. advice. I love it. I love it. I want to use it. And yeah, I, I, I promise to give you credit. <laughs> I have to remember who told it to me so I can pass the credit along. <laughs> oh my God. Well, one of the things I love about how you talk about your career and, you know, all of the work that you've done is through this lens of mentorship, right? Like no one succeeds alone. And I'd love to hear from you about, you know, who some of the, your greatest mentors have been and, you know, how they actually influenced your career. I know this is, this is deep. <laughs> so we're going right to it. I know it, it's, it's definitely mentorship is something I practice um, both as a mentor and as a mentee. Um, And there are many. So I'm just going to, I'm going to start with my family. Um, I would say one of my uncles, well, he's the father of Filipino philosophy. Wow. Um, uh, And I actually have a YouTube channel with him called Wisdom for My Elders. And um, there are two things that I learned from him. He wrote a book called The Meaning of Life in two languages. And I asked him, you know, after reading, it's a very short book and I'll have to, I think it's still on Amazon. Um, One of the things he said to me was, Alisa, the reason, you know, you have today and the reason why you have today is you have an opportunity to solve problems and make a difference in people's lives. The moment you don't have a today, that means you're done. You're pretty much, you know, gone. And so, you know, consider that each day is that opportunity to make a difference in someone's life. Um, and then the second thing that he taught me was that everything that you do, right, is through an intention and mm. that you choose what that intention is. And so choose wisely. And so if you want to put something out there of being inclusive, choose choose actually to have that mindset so that you communicate in that way. So to me, learning, learning where I'm taking and then and then teaching where I'm giving back, it's its own, it's it's one in the same. So I have a love of learning. I'm a voracious reader. I'm in everything and anything. Um, there's always this joke at Intuit, like, I don't know what she's doing, but she's doing a million things. And it's partly because of my love of learning. But again, as I mentioned to you, we do not arrive on our own. And mm-hmm. so today I still do, I have four engineers internally that I mentor and three engineers externally that I still mentor. But internally, like I have been mentored by some of the, some of like amazing leaders at Intuit and outside. I'm going to um, call out Krithika Swaminathan. She is the VP of AI at Intuit. And one of the things that she always preaches and I take to, to heart is take every opportunity that comes your way because you never know where it's going to lead. And even if it doesn't lead to exactly what you think it should be, amazing things are going to happen. And I would say it's true, um, but it takes courage to do that, right? And to be open to that. 
But if you can just take that in, there's so much wisdom in that. The second is Kiran Patel, who I mentioned to you, who was a little bit upset when I left. But the thing that I that that I got from him was when he said, "Alisa, every every risk has its reward, and the greater the risk, the greater that reward." But just take calculated risks, right? And um, but he said, unless you take that risk, you won't be able to see what it could be, and you could shape that. And so I always kind of share that also with my, with the folks I mentor, right? Like, oh, Lisa, that's a new role. I don't know. It's a new team. I'm like, yeah, but it's a new tech stack and you, you're going to learn and you're going to be better at being an engineer than you were before because you've got this other thing, right? Um, and then the last I would say is Rick Jensen, who I mentioned earlier, where he basically said, you know, seek to gain skills to add to your portfolio. And so I never was someone who was seeking titles because I feel that that is an empty promise. What I was, what I always tell people, and I, I believe in this, and this is how I live my life, is I seek to learn. I seek to actually gain fulfillment, not only in learning, but in the impact I can make. And so... Um, those like I think that kind of makes it up, and of course I have some that I just think are fierce people, right? Like Michelle Obama, who I like. Yes, everything. She's I'm, I'm always like, yes, yeah. And then Maya Angelou, who's no longer obviously with us, of you know of how you think about challenging situations and how you can change your mindset. But mm -hmm. all of that, whether it's personal or professional, all of that actually does help you. And I would say to all the technologists, whether you're a budding technologist still at uni or, you know, a technologist out there already practicing your, your discipline is to constantly be open. And, and I, and what I mean by that is both in the mind and the heart and that none of us know everything. And yes, you might be freaking brilliant. But the thing is, all of us have our shadows and all of us have our blind spots and mm -hmm. no one knows it all and has it all. So, you know, being open is just as important as being brilliant um, because I've worked with some people that were brilliant but couldn't take feedback and and they just really, really struggled. And yes, I no longer work with them, but man, they were brilliant in their own sense. Yeah. I mean, it definitely takes some amount of bravery to, like, grow. Yeah, I love what Ginny, what's her name? Ginny Romney, is that her name? Um, she used to be the CEO of IBM. Mm -hmm. um, and I still remember her at um, a, a recent Grace Hopper where she basically said that that growth and um, growth and comfort never coexist. And, um, you know, for some people, that's a scary thing. But really, as you grow, that comfort, that circle of comfort grows with it. Mm -hmm. Then you're more comfortable with things. But if you don't grow, there's going to be a lot more panic zones for you. Um, and I never want to live my life. Like, I never regretted anything I did. I regretted all the things I didn't do. And so right. I would say, you know, yes, take the calculated risk. I would say, um, but, you know, you can find mentors in anyone and everyone i am i am constantly inspired by by people much younger than me um with much less experience i'm constantly freaking inspired i'm i'm always like oh i didn't even think of it that way i mean it, and, it, and it becomes a funny moment because i have these faces and i know i'm very animated uh and and but i also think you know don't snub out 
people that just came from university to learn from them. Um, I, I think yeah. I think we are all we all get amazing because everyone else has helped us, um, you know, learn something new and discover yeah. something about ourselves. Definitely. I mean, that's one of the things I love most about the hackathons in our community, right? It's just like feeling that you can enter a place and start interacting with complete strangers who actually want to like support you and help you. And there are these moments where like, you're in a room of a thousand people, maybe not in the last year, but you know, you're in a room of a thousand people. And someone just like raises their hand and stands up and says, Hey, like, can anyone help me with Arduino? Right? Right. And people help. Right. I love the energy of hackathons. And I know I partnered with MLH before um, um, in a hackathon at RIT for women in tech. But there are, I love that you just said that because I know I miss it. Um, I wish sometimes that I could have, you know, I could bottle that energy because I think I could sell it. Yeah. Um, just the energy of everyone coming together. It's like, it's like, you know, we're really tapping into the social, our social being as human beings, right? The socialness of our, of our beings, because we're there, we're together, we're there to, to not only innovate together, but to seek partners, to seek connections and to make things happen. You know, we don't go into the hackathon just to freaking hang out. It's actually a lot of work. I'll be honest. People go, oh, this is so much fun. I'm like, you know, it's work, right? But mm-hmm. but there's so much fun in that, in knowing that you're not alone, in knowing that you're in a ship with everyone else, and that we're all going to do our parts to, you know, maybe make, you know, change the world, and and not only make a difference maybe for one group, but influence so many more. And mm-hmm. I I I uh, absolutely love that. Um, I don't. I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to share a couple of things that I've actually leveraged from MLH. Please. Um, so, um, you know, one of the things that I leverage is, you know, I got to teach um, workshops with you all at like the uh, the one at RIT, but um, we we at Intuit have a couple of things. One is when I was the tech evangelist for a consumer group for um, TurboTax and Mint, um, I actually invented and led um, Dream Hackathon. And the reason why we called it Dream was because we actually exist to help people achieve their dreams. And Mm. so in that hackathon, I... um, I brought in wildcard that came from you all. Yes, we have these topics, but you know what? Let's let's give you some autonomy. Let's empower you and and you know provide wildcard. The second is, and I still also have, um, I still use this actually is um, for this other thing called Global Engineering Days that my team and I used to lead and also invented, which is a one week hackathon also across the globe. Um, We um, adopted um, every, it's every six months, by the way, um, the Cup Tower Challenge. Obviously, it's a little different now. Cup stacking. You know, cup stacking. Uh, So we have that, but you should see before COVID, I am freaking amazed. I'm laughing at at this. I'm like, hey, everyone, because I know y'all can't use a table, can't use a ladder. I have seen Cirque du Soleil movements of people oh, yeah. stacked on top of each other. I have seen pulley systems created. Um, you know, leave it up to engineers to invent all these ways. And then the last thing that I also um, have adopted is workshops. It's actually mm-hmm. giving people the tools so that they could be a part of it, especially those that, you know, you know, may not know something about, you know, they, they want to create an app um, on iOS, but don't know iOS. So 
Um, so we call those uh, Global Engineering Days workshops or GED workshops, but that actually all of these components came from MLH because I truly believe in the energy it created. I truly believed in the connectedness it created and the helpfulness. And I think that's the thing with any hackathon or any kind of innovation movement is you've mm-hmm. got to be there for people. It's like the Laszlo, um, you know, hierarchy of needs. Yeah. yeah, you've got to first as someone who provides the platform or the event or, you know, or, or the movement is be there to help so that people can then go on top of that and innovate and then inspire others to be a part of it. It's just like this triangle, right? As, as, as you, but, but it all starts with, let's give them the tools, let's inspire them. And don't forget, it's got to have fun. I think many times we forget that play, it was how we all learned. I see it like, what is it on all those freaking shows with the animal kingdom? Like, oh my God, check out the cougars, you know, they're playing, but they're really learning how to like, you know, stalk a prey, you know, but it's kind of like that. And I think we, we can't forget that fun is a big part of not only hackathons, but a big part of what we call software engineering, because it is a team sport and you've got to build that in and you've got to celebrate. And that's the other thing I've taken from MLH is celebrating every once in a while, how y'all would go in the hackathons, at least I've been in with you all have been like, every so often you all will announce something and the raffle, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh my God, we got to do that. We got to do raffles. You know, um, we even did, I think one time there was a, um, like a scavenger hunt. Yeah. That y'all did. We do that too. And let me tell you the number one thing that the people want, at least before COVID was the, the unicorn onesie. And mm-hmm. our CTO was like, no one's going to want that. Actually, it's the most common <laughs> thing. I know you don't believe that, but it's true. And I remember her saying, oh my gosh. I'm like, I know it's for real. <laughs> It's for real, that unicorn onesie. Yeah. God. I, you know, it's funny. Like, I, I feel like there's a lot that companies can learn about engineering culture from community events, like hackathons, conferences, all those things. Like, I don't know. Like, engineering is social. It's fun. It's creative. It's, like, almost artistic in a lot of ways. Yeah. And Community events really reflect that. And a lot of work culture, you know, doesn't as much. And, you know, I love that you're adopting things from MLH, but I know that you, you know, have also been super involved in a lot of other communities, right? Like Girl Develop It and Grace Hopper and Edith Borg, right? Like all of these amazing groups that, frankly, like we're inspired by when we look at them. Um, I'm curious, like what, what other things you've taken from the community to bring back to Intuit to help, you know, improve the culture and experience there? Oh my gosh, almost all of it. And it's funny because I, um, I'm co-chair for the open source track, um, at Grace Hopper and, um, and, and I also obviously speak at Grace Hopper and, um, the things that I have taken back, and, and this is something that I think all tech companies should actually have is we build tech to automate, to get rid of the mundane, hmm. um, many times for our internal customers, for our engineers and other technologists. And Zoom has allowed us to connect even during COVID um, or uh, other tools, whether it's, you know, mural or whatever to, to collaborate. But the thing that you cannot remove and you cannot forget is the need to connect, to sit side by side and pair program, to actually have, you know, candid conversations about tech decisions. That is actually still something you cannot automate. And so some of the, I've even just, so, you know, I've even brought some of, 
stuff that I've learned from other groups back to um, actually back to Grace Hopper and my colleague, Suracio Montes, who is um, the tech leader for InterSource and Open Source with me at Intuit. Um, she has taken even some of the elements from MLH to um, the Open Source Day at Grace Hopper. And uh, I know she's hoping to partner again with ML, partner with MLH directly for Grace uh, for Grace Hopper's Open Source Day. But I think it's about the connections that we can't forget and the celebrations. And I think that's what I love about GHC or Grace Hopper Celebration. That that term celebration is something that I know my the, my boss, the Intuit Chief Architect, and I always talk about. And we make it a point that even at my biweekly meetings, that there's even like with all of the senior technologists at Intuit, is that we have a moment of celebrating. We do a couple of things. One is like we're always um, highlighting two technologists where they talk about themselves, but we also do celebrate, you know, small and big wins. And that's a big deal. Um, we, we don't always take that time um, because I think when we do that, when we actually start connecting, celebrating, providing people with the path to like innovate, I do think, I do think we just become, you know, just, code monkeys, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. And that's not where we are. We're technologists and we're here to make a difference. But this is not, even though back at university, sorry to my professors, um, where they're like, are you sure you did this algorithm all by yourself? And then you realize when you get out of university, you will never work alone. You will always yeah. be with a team um, that we cannot forget team. And I think that's what... Um, has really made it hard during COVID is because yes, we have these ways of connecting, but what we are missing is the true connections. Um, what we're missing is, I'll be honest, I have problems still reading the room, the virtual room. Like I have no idea, especially if I, if 90% of people just show their pictures, do y'all hate it? You love it? I can't even tell, you know, but when we're in a room. You're reading an email right now? Like, what's going on? <laughs> like, I don't know. Because usually we're on the whiteboard and I'm looking at you and you're looking at me. And sometimes you call me crazy and sometimes I, you know, whatever. But like, at least we're like, you know, having that candid uh, exchange. And I think that's the thing that so many places, unfortunately, it's, it's just such a different world now, John. I mean, Grace Hopper is so magical. And last year, going, you know, I was a speaker and a co-chair, um, but going virtual, it still had its moments, but man, I miss just like, I remember Rocio and I one time after our talk in 2019, we just ended up getting lunch and then we just found two seats beside these, um, you know, some other, uh, other engineers and we sat down got to meet people from, you know, Salesforce and Amazon and mm -hmm. Microsoft who were, we were all sharing like our background and, Hey, we should do a talk together. And Hey, let's, you know, let's follow each other. I think that's the thing that I miss. There is no impromptu. It's all yeah. like, it's all like it not rehearsed, but it's all like, you got to put on the calendar. I got to like, you know, spin up zoom or whatever. Right. And it's, it's yeah. just miss that magic. And so I'd love to be able to talk with you again and tell you after COVID, you know, oh my gosh, I forgot to tell you about this. Our lives are so different now. Um, but I hope mm -hmm. that tech companies don't lose sight of the importance of celebrating, of fun, of mentoring, of teaching, and of connecting. Yeah. 
No, I completely agree. I, I mean, you you hit the nail on the head. Um, so uh, one of the things that I really love about what you've been doing at Grace Hopper is, you know, exposing so many new people to open source. And, you know, we've touched on this a little bit throughout our conversation, but, you know, open source is this, I think, a fairly unique thing in in, in tech, right? Like when you're in, uh, I don't know, if you're making cars, there's no open, you know, mechanical engineering plans for your cars, right? Like everyone's competing. It's all IP that you own. You know, tech is unique where you share a lot of this code and a lot of the volunteer labor to create it. And, you know, uh, I'm curious to like hear from you uh, how you think people should be introduced to open source. And I, I phrase it that way because there are many different initiatives out there to introduce people, but I don't know that all of them do it right. And so I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Of how, how, I, would, how I introduce people to it. Yeah, like how do you get a developer who's never contributed code before to get involved with open source? Yeah, um, I'll be honest with you. I I get this question a lot um, because um, in, in terms of, Elisa, you know, you say this is important, but how do we get started, right? Um, whether it's a small company or a group. Um, the first thing I actually say is open source is about community, but it's really mm. about the essence of what it means to be a software engineer. A software engineers, software engineering is a team sport, and we and it's in and the more diversity that you have in that teams in that team, you know. I mean, I played soccer for a while, and I also played field hockey, but I even was in intramural um, soccer. And you know, you need every every position filled, right? Whether it's in defense, midfield, mm -hmm. you know. Um, or offensive. And the thing is, is that what open source does is, is it actually allows you to continue to play in a team, but in even a global arena. And mm. the reason why open source is so important to me is because it's at the crux of what I believe in, which is one, to enable people to innovate without being judged of, hey, um, what is the ROI of that solution? Or Hey, like, uh, how many customers, uh, do you think are gonna like, you know, buy that app? No, it's actually me as an engineer determining with maybe one other or maybe by myself or a small group, you know, what do we want to put out there in the community that could be helpful for others or that could be made better because of people's, because people are extending our code. And so mm -hmm. if you think about it, that it's at the essence of what it means to be an engineer then it's it's not foreign but it's a it's a mindset you know shift because a lot of people don't think of it that way they think of it as oh lisa there's this thing where there's internal and then there's this thing that's external and we want people to like and you want people to contribute to that i'm like you don't seem to understand right we talk about inner source at work those are just taking open source principles and bringing them internally and that's how we work it actually yep. goes hand in hand it's the left to the right hand it's the right hand to the left hand but what it does is it promotes community. It promotes really, and one of the first things, just so you know, if you go to our website called opensource.intuit.com, um, the first thing that I actually established there was the code of conduct. 
Um, and it was, mm-hmm. and it wasn't because like, oh, she only cares about that. No, I needed to make sure that everyone understood the community is at the heart of open source. And so if you're asking me as like, you know, hey, Lisa, I'm a dev manager. Why is it important for my team member to get started in this? Well, actually, one, um, if they do contribute to a repo where the, the tech is new, they're learning one, right? So you're growing. Two is if you're contributing, you're now a part of a bigger community and who can support you, be there for you, and also give you kudos, right? And 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 and, and celebrate that with you as you, you know, as you give them stars. You know, people usually mm-hmm. comment back when you fix something and you know they thank you. And it's a very reciprocal kind of thing. So if I was to tell people today, you know, how do I get started, right? First is like, I want you to shift your mindset that you actually, by doing open source, you're just practicing what it's like to be an engineer within a bigger community, within a bigger team. But two, I would say the first thing to do is to start looking at GitHub in general. Look for things that, that you know, that are in, of interest to you and start by just learning what people are putting out there. And then this mm-hmm. next thing after you learn, and maybe you'll find one or two projects, contribute, fix something do something, extend it. And then the third thing I would do is, you know, um, is start as, as you're, you know, as you are actually, you know, contributing is start thinking about what it is that you're learning and seeing how can you bring that back to your everyday and share that with your team, because then you're also growing in terms of leadership skills or bringing external inspiration in. There is no downside to open source. There really isn't. There's only an upside. And as an individual engineer, you're only going to get better as an engineer because of it. And so there is no, and there's no cost. It's freaking free compared to like conferences or and anywhere else that you're going to go. Um, and then lastly, I would say is that don't forget to actually teach people. And if you've ever read the book by the Heath Brothers Switch, How to Change Things When Change is Hard, provide them with a path. The first thing that we did, Rocio and I realized was there not only had to be a mindset shift, but we actually had to teach people what it means. And so we set out to create targeted workshops. Um, and then from those targeted workshops, we, we looked at, okay, who are our potential influencers, which by the way, we took inspiration from Instagram. So who are potential influencers that can like go, Hey, this stuff is cool. Go be, go join me on this. Um, and because mm-hmm. of that, we even have a Slack channel that's called open sourcerers. <laughs> and so, um, you know, where we, you know, where we answer questions about open source and we get people to share their ideas and then get, you know, get feedback about it. But man, yeah. it is, it is not separate. Um, I think that's the big thing that I always kind of tell people, don't think about it as a separate initiative. Think about it as part and parcel of what it means to be to to be an, a software engineer and to be part of this team sport called software engineering. Yeah, we, we actually had our um, graduation for the MLH fellowship yesterday where we had, you know, hundreds of students like learning real world engineering skills, primarily through contributing to open source. And it's so interesting when they come out of this program, because, you know, like you mentioned earlier, a lot of class projects are solo, right? And in the real world, everything is collaborative and open source is like a perfect representation of that. So all of these students come out and they're like, wow, like, 
I got to talk to an engineer who like lives on the other side of the world, is way more experienced than I am, has a totally different perspective and like figure out how to add value to their project, right? And and to get feedback on it and iterate. And that is like such a novel experience for a lot of people who are, you know, early in their careers. And, you know, it's so, so, so valuable, right? And I, you know, I think... um, Certainly, a lot of people could learn from you know the work that you've been doing, right? To create more open source contributors and also more open source projects, and and you know right. kind of extending that philosophy to internal code. I think John, you and the MLH um, group have definitely tapped into um, with your fellowship program something that's unique um, that a lot of people, I think, you kind of are demystifying it. Um, mm-hmm. open source that is as a way to actually learn and grow and, and, you know, and invest in yourself. Um, and so I, I, I really commend you all for finding that niche because I think it's pretty cool. A lot of our engineers that are not from uni, um, are learning that now. And I know mm-hmm. some of them said, man, I wish I could have contributed to this because I probably could have, you know, um, you know, been faster at some of the things that I was doing before. I'm like, probably. I know I could have. Um, I know I could have learned some things. Um, and, and I think so many people don't think of, think about it as when they go in, oh my gosh, I have to start a new one. I have to do my own project. I'm like, no, we can do baby steps, you know, contribute, yep. edit, you know, do comment, you know, and then figure out what would you want to do on your own? And actually, I, I have a Grace Hopper talk all about this that we just submitted with me and another engineer. Um, and it's all about the realization of, you know, being empowered to be part of open source so that you could, mm-hmm. so that you can grow. The benefits are, again, for the company are great. One is that for the company, they get their name out there and their brand out there, mm-hmm. right? Because it's one of the first two things, first first two or three things that engineers looking for a job do. Hey, how active is that company in open source? Um, so it's, mm-hmm. it's a benefit for them. It's a benefit for the engineer because, you know, they're learning and growing in their craft and they can contribute more. It's a benefit for dev managers because now they have their, actually their, their team is up leveling their skills um, and they're learning as they're going and they're contributing back to, to back to their team or back to the company as a whole. So yeah. I, I commend you all. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's a program that we're incredibly proud of, honestly. Um, I might actually, been... because of this, write a blog article because of it. <laughs> because, there I'm you serious. go. I'm serious. Like now we're writing each other's blogs. I'm like, let me write a blog article about this because I think it's pretty cool. Um, it, it's, it's, it's such a cool nuance and it's kind of interesting because I shared it recently with some team members at Intuit and the, I'm having to explain it. Unfortunately, I'm having mm-hmm. to explain it, which means <laughs> get it factor. It, it's I'm having to explain it to non-technical people. And so I, I think I have to explain it a little bit differently. Yeah, um, this has been incredible. We we only have a couple of minutes left here, but I've learned a ton from you. And I hope that you know everyone who's, who's listening has to. I always like to end these conversations on a totally non-technical note because every engineer I know ha- is like, has so many passions and inspirations outside of just writing code. Uh, so I'm curious, like, what are your hobbies or, or passions outside of coding? Oh, my gosh. Um, outside of coding, I have for the last 10 years been doing pro bono consulting work for micro-owned businesses um, that are owned by women. And the reason for mm-hmm. that 
is that, and it's all pro bono, is that 40% of small businesses here in, or businesses in the country in, our, in the United States are owned by women. But did you know that only 2.2% of startups are actually uh, funded, um, uh, you know, are, uh, startups led and owned by women are actually funded by VCs. And then less than 20% of um, small businesses that are owned by women who ask for a small business loan actually get a loan. And mm. to me, that is so backwards and so upside down that I want to do my best to help. So that's what I do outside. Um, and then there was, you had a second question. Was it around? Just what, what are your passions and hobbies? Like, what, what are you excited about outside of tech? I mean, that's incredible, by the way. I, I think <laughs> So, yeah. So I and, and I am very happy about it because I actually have been consulting even in Mexico, like for companies in Mexico, small companies or small businesses in Mexico and in the U.S. So it's it's been really um, I'll be honest with you. It is it's more about feeding my soul. Um, mm -hmm. but I'm also doing it because the number one thing that I believe the most priceless thing that you can share in this world is your time. It's the one thing that has no price, but it's the most valuable thing. Um, it's partly why I believe in mentoring. And I think it's been mm -hmm. more so heightened because I am a three time cancer survivor. And so for me, this is the way I'm going to give back, but it's also, I believe the thing that is going to continue to fulfill me as well. But this has yeah. been an amazing talk. Thank you. Thank you so much. Wow. I mean, honestly, I, Thank you. I'm so inspired by everything you've done. And, you know, this has been incredible. Thank you for sharing it with all of us. Thank you. And I'm serious about writing my blog. I'm actually right after this going to write um, on my to do's um, because I think I, I need to write about it, um, about this talk that we just had and about about your fellowship program. But thank you so much. Yeah, I hope many of our community members get to meet you at future events. Yes, yes. One day, one day we will one all day. be together. When we're all back. I know, right? One day. Well, thank you so much, John, and take it easy. Thank you, Elisa, and happy hacking, everyone. The State of Developer Education is brought to you by Major League Hacking or MLH. To find out more about MLH and how we power innovation, cultivate developer communities, and teach technical skills to students around the world, visit mlh.io. And then make sure to search for developer education in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at MLH, thanks for listening and helping us empower the next generation of technologists. Happy hacking.